welcome to Adventure Guys, the podcast for humans and dogs. I'm Eric the Human. And I'm Nick the Human. And we're recording this in the morning. Morning show edition. Morning show edition. Maybe one day I'll make a morning show theme song, but well, not we, today. This may end up becoming a more regular occurrence given the uh, return to normal life. Well, maybe. As we said right before we uh, started recording this, we're entering stage five down here in Austin. Fifth wave of COVID. They're officially beating Ska. Yeah. <laughs> Fifth. Fifth wave of COVID. We're beating Ska. Um, speaking of Ska, I watched your stream on Facebook. Anyone who missed it, it's still up. Eric, your voice sounded good, my man. I'm impressed. You were, you were coming <laughs> along your skills. And the EP is out. Goddamn. Yep. New EP is here finally. I mean, it's been here for like months. <laughs> Like mentally, I am so far past this EP by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I did most of the work on it in May and then immediately put it up on Patreon. So it's been there for two months, but now everybody has it. Now everyone has it. It's fun. I was thinking about our podcast the other day and I was like, if people who are listening who are following along have really heard like progressions of our lives at this point from when you were talking about this, launching a Patreon, finishing it. It's cool. Um it's fine. So congrats on releasing. I know we don't usually lead with the plugs up top, but this one's just too big. It sounds great. Your uh, your growth, man, is uh, is is palpable. I'm like, these are some of the better recordings I've heard you do. Your voice, singing voice, is just like getting better. It's cool. Well, thanks, man. I mean, I'm definitely like putting in some effort to be better and get better. <laughs> you can you can tell. Not everyone does. So. Um, I, I, I was, you know, I, I was kind of, cause I was kind of thinking about that, you know, like, I think a lot of people maybe cross the wires a bit when they think of something new as being like an improvement, like in terms of their art, Mm -hmm. maybe like people that aren't like constantly like practicing and working to better themselves, maybe just like always see the next new thing they put out as an improvement, but maybe it's just not maybe it's just like the next thing that they did it's a really good point i'm always like trying to be conscious of that like every new thing that i do like it really has to be better like i really have to have made an improvement i don't know if people always think that way it's stressful yeah (laughs) to have that constantly in my mind but yeah i am i am trying well you know for a lot of bands that we're fans of and everyone is a lot of times there comes some sort of inflection point in a musician's career where you can tell that it's not like each new record is some new step. It's like, oh, now they just do this one thing, and now they've done a lot of records that sound this way. You know what I mean? Um, yes. <laughs> and you're kind of like, they're just coasting on the same thing. And and a lot of times there, I'm like, are they still listening to new music? Are they trying to find ways to make this better and exciting? Or are they kind of just doing what they do? And there's no shade to that. There is merit to that. Like There are, I guess, probably some bands I'm being generous that do the same thing over and over and I like it. I, I don't really know if that's really the case. I'd, I'd rather someone like, I, it's cool, man. It's like, I like, I like people. It, it, you can show that you're like, okay, what's a cooler way to arrange this song? Like, how can I sing better? Like, I, I it's not like I hear effort in your music, but just as knowing you so much and talking, I can just, I listen to those music to the, like this new EP and I'm like, yeah some new shit like Eric's Eric's still reaching I feel like there's something in that reach and that trying to get better that just comes across in music and art that is good like the eternal search and striving 
is 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 great. I think it that's what fuels the art that we like, you know. Yeah. You know, here's here's a bit of a a tangent, I guess, but a a thought that I had. Are you watching the Olympics at all? I watched a little bit of it and then got off. Yeah, I I really don't care about it at all. <laughs> um and Why it's just that? because it's it's in the news and everything and whatever, but uh, you know, the the point of the Olympics that I have taken away, I guess, is to watch these people that are the literal best at the thing that they're doing. Right? Is yeah. that like a fair a fair takeaway? Sure. You're seeing the best of the best competing, a snapshot of the best of the best in the world doing this one specific thing. Yeah, yeah. Like this is like the pinnacle of like that particular achievement. Yeah. What's the thesis of that's the thesis of the Olympics, I think you could say. Yeah. See, that's not something I'm interested in. I don't mm -hmm. I don't care about the best iteration of any given thing. I want to see a creative iteration of that. Yeah. And I, I don't think people that are concerned with doing the best of something are the people that are concerned with being a more creative version of that something. <laughs> There's not a lot of overlap there. So this was just sort of a thought that I had about the best versus the most creative in, yeah. you know, what now, we consider achievement or art. You're onto something now. You are not a meme consumer as we've talked about like it's not that you're anti-meme but you're not like me who's just looking at hundreds of them a day <laughs> no scrolling through I, haven't, TikTok. I haven't made that descent no <laughs> you haven't which is good for you it's it's a better for your mind but i did see some meme where people were sort of like i want to see people competing at sports that they don't know how to do or <laughs> like yeah show me someone who's never skateboarded before trying to do this and and stuff like that, and it's a joke and a meme, but kind of gets at, I think, what you're talking about. Yeah, I would just rather see someone take a creative leap and fail rather than be really good at something that's not creative. Yeah. I got into this, I got into a little bit of an argument with a friend, or not an argument, a spirited discussion, which I love. I love a good spirited discussion, and a lot of people um, don't seem to like to have those, but... <laughs> But we were talking about something, and we're talking about the Beatles, and this guy saw Paul McCartney live recently, and he said he liked the songs more because they just had this like killer band that was just objectively better. Like, And he's, he was a drummer, so he was really talking about Ringo. He's like, Ringo was not a good drummer. He wasn't like as good as this guy. Like, What if they went back and recorded those songs with a good drummer? I was like, I was like, but the thing is, I don't want to hear the best drummer drum with the Beatles. I want to hear Ringo. He's like, yeah, but how do you know? Like, I'm like, well, isn't his drumming right for the, the context of the Beatles? And he's like, well, sure, yeah, I don't need to hear anybody else do it. I'm like, well, then to me, that is good. He's like, yeah, but th there's a, he was like concerned with some objective quality of drumming that he wanted to see applied to the Beatles. And I was like, Whatever objective sense of quality of something it is, I think, kind of irrelevant to the practicality, to the application. So, like, if someone's doing something and it's perfect for what it is, then it's good. I don't care about the objective good. You know what I mean? It's like if someone's making a hamburger and and it's just not the best cut of beef and it's this, but it's like your uncle's making it and he knows how to make it. And it's just you get it. And you're like, well, this is the best. And they're like, 
yeah, but if you go across town, you can get a way better cut of beef. And like, I'm like, I hear you, but this is, I still like this. Do you know what I'm getting at? Like, If every pork chop were perfect, we wouldn't have hot dogs. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I was just thinking about like the idea of a, a this, that conversation, I know it was like a kind of a non sequitur, but was really getting me started on the thought of objective quality and does it matter? Does objective quality ever truly matter at anything? I think it's, a, I think it's really, I mean, now I'm going crazy with this, but, <laughs> but I think it's, it's all about the application and the, the context in which anything exists, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe that to a degree there is a threshold to which craft is certainly relevant, uh, where if you don't have a foundation of being good at a craft, you, you won't have the tools that's available good, to be creative. That's a good point. I think the lens by which a lot of people look at a, approaching learning a craft is through this idea of, of objective quality. So it is like, if I want to be a chef, you can't just throw any someone into a kitchen and be like, start making pork chops, man. It's like, whatever, you know, you should probably put some real thought into it. And if you want to be a good cook, look at the masters that are objectively considered good and figure out how to do that. And then along the journey, you'll, you can find your own way and, Fine. You, you know, I, I think that's yeah. probably what I think it's the way people I guess that's a good way to, to say is that you need to get certain you need to be certainly you need to get to a certain point at the craft in order for it to be good. Like that is important. And the way that people approach um, learning a craft is looking at the objectively good people that everyone's decided are good. And that is useful. But then to get don't get it confused or twisted that that's the only way to do it or something or that truly is the best way you know yeah <laughs> sean sean's got a great quote which uh he loves which is I forget exactly where it comes from but it's um don't seek to emulate the master seek what the master sought so to hold anybody in mm. that that huge high regard you know i guess that's, that's cool. why so many people were against skateboarding being in the Olympics, you know, it's sort of like, why are we going to standardize the idea of what skateboarding is? Like, that's not, that's literally not the purpose of the sport. Oh, this, yeah. The purpose of the yeah. sport was to be separate. Like, we don't need a Michael Jordan where everyone's like, I need to be this good. It's supposed to be like this completely individualistic thing. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I guess surfing too. I really wanted to watch surfing on the Olympics. Um, gotta go do that and rock climbing. I've I've never really watched a a climbing competition. Me neither. <laughs> but <laughs> never, never me really neither. Wanted to, but yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, me being me being a corporate guy, I, I I'm still for skateboarding in the Olympics because I'm all about creating those gateways for kids who would who might not find skateboarding anywhere else to get into it. I guess with the internet those ideas of those big gateways starts to erode where it's like if a kid has Instagram, he's probably going to come into contact with skateboarding, you know? But I think there is yeah. something for like a, an eight year old who might see skateboarding and be like, I want to do that and start them on the path that I think that's cool. You need those wholesome, like average Joe 
entry points. Like everyone had them at some point when they were a kid, right? For everything that they're into. So, yeah. Well, that's enough of me just pontificating. I guess I'm all jacked up today. Um, drink Ready my to go. Coffee. It's early. It's early for me. It's one o'clock. One. <laughs> oh, I know. It's. I think that's really what's happening. Is usually when we record these on Fridays, I'm pretty beat, and this is fun because it's like it's sort of a digital version of going to the bar with your friend and getting a beer, but even better because it's focused. But now it's Saturday morning. I went for a run before this. I've got a coffee, mm. so I'm kind of like clear headed and ready to go. I specifically didn't exercise today because I had plans to do this podcast. <laughs> maybe, maybe it will after. Well, it's usually not like I have a whole lot on my schedule. Today. <laughs> I would usually do a more involved uh, workout on Saturday mornings as I've been trying to continue to, to lose some weight. Nice. Well, is that enough bullshitting? Should we talk about Adventure Time? I don't know. I wasn't like that excited about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, know. it's been a, it's been a pretty busy week. Like, I don't know. Did you get into anything else? Because I I only just watched the episode last night I, when I kind of remembered. Oh, I had to do this. <laughs> yeah, I watched it this morning. Um, yeah, you know what's funny? I don't know if this is the way you get into things but or but like i'll be reading a book or i'll get into an artist or an album and i'll get really into it for like a span of time sometimes it'll be a day sometimes it'll be a week sometimes it'll be a month and then all of a sudden i move on to a new thing and it's just sort of this cycle of picking up and putting down things so i um i got really into i finished the book crying in h mart by oh, are we doing Adventure Guys Book Club? Yes. You can learn something new today. You can expand your mind the old-fashioned way. Adventure Guys Book Club. Is that the debut of the song? No, dude. This is like the fourth time we've played that song. Oh, my God. You should listen to these episodes after they're done. You would learn a lot. I, I would. <laughs> Honestly, I, I listened to one of our episodes not so long ago and i realized how much i said like and now it's been in my head i've been trying to be more like fluid in my my speech even though i just said like <laughs> right yeah it's a good idea i mean i listen to th these episodes all the time because i have to edit them yeah. and so it takes me as long as it would to record it plus more editing time so i listen to all these and i learn a lot about <laughs> how to speak and i know you're how to direct these discussions and stuff you should listen to more of our podcast i should it would make them better i was thinking about that recently i was like eric's gotten better at talking on mic i gotta up my game i guess that would be how if if you're re-editing these feel free to just shoot me a note or a section or a timestamp. but i will listen to it i'll listen to it yeah you also wouldn't be as surprised when we get to theme songs yes so anyway book club segment what are, we, what are you reading so i've well, I'm reading a few things. I finished the book Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner, a.k.a. Japanese Breakfast. And she's from Philly. She was in this punk band called Little Big League. It was like a DIY punk band. And and then her mom gets cancer and uh, and she has to go home and take care of her mom. And then from that, she starts Japanese Breakfast, which is very successful. But very good book. Probably better than I liked it even more than a lot of her albums. but. I'm gonna sneeze. But <laughs> but it's fun because like you get into it and I'm reading this memoir and it was the first thing 
you know, time, it's like what you hope for when you read an interview or something with an artist, which just gets you even deeper into their work. So it was just like this five day, like I'm just listening to Japanese breakfast, like every chance I get and finishing the thing. And then after like a week of that, something happened. Oh, it was the uh, Jeff France. It was the vacation 10 year anniversary. Is that this week? I do know that song. Yeah, I think it was last week. Okay. And then that just really spiraled me or directed me back into my first true. And we talk about them all the time, but when I was going back and re-listening to that album and thinking about seeing those shows, I was just like, oh yeah, now I'm like so back in. I can't wait to go see those shows in November and maybe record a podcast in person with you. <laughs> yeah. So it's fun. But do, do you, does that happen to you when you're getting into something and then it kind of consumes you for, a, then I listen to Jeff for like a week. Does that, does that, how, do you have cycles like that? Um, yeah, sort of. So, I mean, sometimes the way I consume things is very, uh, irregular. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can get like super hyper-focused on a particular thing and just do only that for a couple of days and then, you know, move on to something else. Yeah. <clears throat> That that's why I like tackling things that are so large that it kind of prevents me from doing that. Yeah, where it, like it would just be impossible to only do that one thing for a week or to only listen to that one artist for a week. Like like a discography that just spans decades or something. Like Jeff's, um, how many? I mean, how many records are are in that? I I think the last time I listened to his discography, like all the way through, like from ASOB to No Dream was on my drive from Texas to New York last year when I moved. Um, but that used to be a thing that I would do, right? Like at the end of the Bomb the Music Industry days, I would just listen to the entire Bomb the Music Industry discography in one go. Like I would take a few hours. Holy shit. But, but now it's too, it's too big to really do that if you're not like stuck in a car for, you know, an entire day's worth of driving. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's a great point. And what's cool about like Japanese breakfast where there's three records. So it's three records is kind of a perfect thing where you're getting into it and you really like these and you go back and listen to the first record and you're starting to get into it and you learn the seventh song on the first record. Like it's a manageable size of music to get into. Yeah. Yeah. I like to specifically get into things that are unmanageable <laughs> so that, <laughs> so that I'm, I'm forced to d- dilute my experience a little bit. I don't get, Hyper focused. Well, now my next thing, which I gotta get up. Show you. Still hear me? I'm off mic, but so is that next week I'm gonna be recording in our house before I leave cover songs, which I think I told you about. And uh, we found this guy who our old roommate started this video company, and him and his friend are gonna record it at like a really reasonable rate. And uh, what we're gonna do. Pet Sounds, the song by the Beach Boys. <laughs> so, one thing I did have, which is, have you ever read any of these, the 33rd and the 33 and a third books? No. So, a, a music writer or even a musician basically goes, all right, I want to write, like, it's like a novella size, like a hundred pages of this small book, just only about this one album. And I'm going to write, like, a thing like, you should really write, like, I don't know, like, vacation or worry 33 and a third but this is this guy's guy jim um 
Fusili, Fusili. I don't know how you say his name. I forget. But he writes for, he's been a writer for a long time. Very good music writer. But yeah, he's just writing about this album, each song on the album, the production, the chords, the lyrics, as well as what's going on in Brian Wilson and the band's life and the music from their whole catalog that he can draw through lines back to where he's like, do you see this song? If you listen to the second side of their fifth record, you'll you'll start to hear where they employed some of these like harmonic tactics and stuff. So you can really go deep if you give a shit about the record. So there's a lot of these books. This is a record that I do give a shit about and I'm finding very inspiring. There's other ones where I'm like, I don't think I can go that deep. But to go along with that, I found these um, chord charts for the entire pet sounds um, on Reddit because it's not in print anymore. If you want to go and get it, it's like on Amazon for $250. I'm like, how is this album not in print for like chords and melody? You know, so odd. Yeah, there must be some like publishing issue like some legal thing with it there has to be right this is like two cornerstone of an album it was like number one on rolling stones top albums of all time at some point they redid it recently but uh dude yeah so this is something you can i feels right in the sweet spot between a manageable thing because it's one album but also unmanageable because like the like these songs are so incredible Truly, like the like the the chords that he's using and songs will modulate like three times within one song, but it feels yeah. like for an emotional reason. And I didn't even re- I never thought about it the, listening the to the album. Beach Boys like use of modulation is so weird. It's not in the tradition of functional tonal harmony. Like that's for sure. Like yeah. they do some weird things with modulation specific. I mean, that's I'm not the hugest Beach Boys guy sure uh but the one thing that i know about their music is like they approach modulation in some really weird kind of ways some of it feels a little ham-fisted to me uh-huh. but the way that things sort of work themselves out is kind of unique yeah like i don't I, i've never seen other artists do modulation the way that the beach boys do it they have their own particular like style of modulations that shouldn't work but somehow make good songs. Yeah, and it seems that the, it seems that it, for the most point, it's enhancing the emotional effect of whatever is happening in the songs. Um, at least to, to my, so it's really cool. I was trying to play these songs on piano, and I was like, I can't do it. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna learn that after these cover songs. I'm like, this will really up my uh, songwriting game. But these are things that I've gotten into over the last week, Eric, since you asked. That's cool. You? Anything else from you? I've been reading some books. Oh. Uh, I'm reading Animorphs. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm on uh, number 18 right now, The Decision. <laughs> How's that going for you? I don't really know what Animorphs truly is. Can you give oh, me? Oh, man. Animorphs were one of my early fandoms. Oh. Uh, right. So when I was a kid, like I, I one of my first fandoms was like Super Mario. And then, uh, I think even before Star Wars, right? Yeah. Cause I, I became part of the Star Wars fandom in 97 when the special edition came out. Uh, Animorphs debuted in 1996. So this was like one of my early, like every month a new book comes out. I gotta go get it. 
uh, like before comics, before like anything like that, before Pokemon, I was super into Animorphs when I was eight years old. That's fun. <laughs> and uh, so I'm rereading it. And you know what? It kind of holds up. Oh, that's a great discovery. Not everything does. <laughs> yeah. Well, the um, in the pantheon of, of children's fiction, uh, you know, there's all this drama about Harry Potter because J.K. Rowling is a fucking stupid turf. Uh, and it turns out that K.A. Applegate, the author of Animorphs, is super pro-trans and pro-queer and everything. Okay. She has a trans kid. Whoa. And she's always been about it and, you know, donates to the charities and everything. So it's like, fuck yeah, let's support K.A. Applegate and go back and read Animorphs. <laughs> oh, man, what a disaster. J.K. Rowling really could be harming the the long-term legacy of Harry Potter, right? Yeah, and the, here's, like, the crazy fucking thing about why, like, none of it even makes sense is that, like, it was such a queer allegory. Like, the whole series, like, you know, the whole, like, being part of a world that you're not supposed to be and, you know, finally finding yeah. yourself and discovering that you belong to, like, this other community. Like, it's not a very thinly veiled queer allegory, or at least a lot of queer people, queer kids, like, really took that to heart, and all of a sudden, she's so anti-trans so, fuck so, her so was that just that queer allegory just an accident or happenstance i mean i guess right like yeah the bar well i'm glad animorphs is not suffering the same fate yeah it's i mean you know i'm 18 books in i think there's like 50 something books in the series almost 60 mm -hmm. um and uh I don't really remember any of the specific story details, so it's fun, like, reading them again. Once you get used to the writing style, like, you know, because it's, it's written for, you know, a YA audience. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, you, when I've got into the first couple of books, it's like, oh, all right, the dialogue is kind of stiff. You know, there's, like, some scenes that move maybe a little bit quicker without, like, really giving any explanation for things, like, because we're just kind of blowing through stuff. But the plot is uh, interesting enough. It's a really cool sci-fi kind of story that's got a lot of um, intricate details and in the way the universe works. Um, and I am enjoying the shit out of it. So I'm on 18. Now I started uh, a couple months ago. I've been on this journey. Uh, I think, wow. yeah, it was, I think it was maybe June. Um, so I'll, I'll keep you posted on my progress. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> I can't wait, man. I really want to get, I think, into comics soon. I think yes. that's something that Good. I, <laughs> I have a plan. I'm going to make it happen for you. I, I do. I, I've got, you know, I've got four other books that are surrounding me that I'm kind of reading. One is, one's about race. So you want to talk about race. My company gave, was like, we'll buy you guys books about race if you want and we were like i was like okay give me one this one's a poetry book uh by david berman who is aka silver jews and purple mountains um and i've got a recording book up here but i really do think i would like comics i had a few when i was a kid and it just seems like a culture that i i would like like someone on instagram the other day posted like hey look at my lot of comics and it was like six and i was like i i fucking want that i love I love like all these records and books and guitar pedals. Like comics is the next thing. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there is an Animorphs comic that's kind of new. Uh, they started doing it last year. Um, mm. And I, I 
understand it's very good, actually. I haven't checked it out yet. Uh, so this is kind of my scenario where a lot of my comic book world revolved around going to the local shop every Wednesday when the new books come out. Uh, and I haven't been part of that over the last year and a half because I haven't been going out to you know retail establishments, really. Uh, so now that things are going to hopefully start getting going again, and especially now that I'm in Brooklyn a lot, you'll be back in Brooklyn. We got to find a good shop in Brooklyn. Oh, that would be make, fun. Make our local comic shop. Yeah, I would. That would be really like a fun tradition to do uh, every week. To to to, to do that, I. Yeah, and when when I was on, I remember going on when we were on tour, and we were in, was it Toronto? We went to a, a comic book shop. In Montreal. Montreal. Yeah. We didn't go to Toronto. You didn't go to Toronto. No, you did. You guys did. Um, Mon- <laughs> it was Montreal. Um, that was really cool. And I remember I got a book and I, I and I loved being there. And I it, it that was the first time I'd been to a comic book shop in years and I still haven't been back. But I remember going in there. I was like, okay, I bet there's like some different comics for, I just got to find the ones for me. But it was like, it seems that's just opened up so much that there's all sorts of different types of stuff. Yeah, so the difficult thing about getting into comics is that it seems overwhelmingly dominated by the superhero stuff, and that's not a good entry point, is what I've discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like too convoluted with like 70 plus years of continuity. It's very hard to get into DC or Marvel comics. Uh, there's not like an accessible entry point for everyone. Um, but there are some amazing independent uh, standalone series that are perfect to get into. Uh, and have you seen, um, the, there's been a trailer going around a new show. Uh, it's going to be on FX for why the last man. No, it's, uh, based on this show has been in production for freaking forever. And I'm so glad it's finally, uh, coming to fruition. I think it's going to debut in September. Um, but this book, why the last man is a comic that, uh, was written by Brian K Vaughn, uh, almost 20 years ago now. Uh, really cool concept. Every man on earth, every male animal on earth just dies at, unexpectedly, except for one guy and his pet monkey. So he's kind of like in this semi post apocalyptic world trying to figure out what happened. Um, and there's only women. Whoa. So it, it, it interesting concept. Really, really cool book like such an amazing read like a real page turner um brian k vaughn i think is a great writer to use as an entry point into comics cool um so if that sounds like something you want to read you could absolutely borrow my books i have them all the other book that brian k vaughn wrote that uh was my introduction to non-superhero comics that i think is Probably, the, I, I think it's the most popular comic right now. Um, it's been on hiatus for three years, but it seems like they're going to start up again. Uh, it's called Saga. And it's like a space opera, sci-fi, kind of star-crossed lovers, Romeo, Romeo and Juliet type of story. But it's so wild and out there, and it's so readable. Um, and... That's another one I would absolutely recommend as like a great entry point into the world of comics. All um, right. Well, let's do it, man. Yeah. And I've got all of those books too. So if you want to borrow them, you can. Um, but yeah, comics uh, is such a fun 
world to like explore beyond the superhero stuff, like just getting into the culture of going to the shops and, and the indie artists and indie writers, like putting out their own books and stuff. And honestly, that's something that I want to do eventually. Oh, dude, you're on your comics. You're on your way. And the, the, the comic book that I, this guy, it was like a graphic novel. It was called Beverly by Nick, um, Janasso is his name. And it, I remember getting that and I actually got, I think a second one of his books, but there's a couple people that seem to be doing graphic novel type stuff, but it's in this crude sort of drawing and it's really like emotional down to earth stuff. It's almost just like short stories yeah. in, in like everyday short stories of like, I love reading short stories. George Saunders is like my favorite writer probably. So it's cool. And it was like done in this graphic novel thing and i was like oh this is like really cool and i i really need to get back into that there's so much cool stuff to i'm i'm you know i'm glad to hear you say that because as i'm preparing my move like here in austin it's something that i always wanted to do in brooklyn was to have my spots and know the people there and i we i had some spots but i never like kind of cracked the code on knowing the people there but here in austin there's a there's a record store a block away that opened and now I'm on like speaking terms with the guy there. Like we're, we're like kind of buds. There's a coffee shop in town where we got to know the owner. I was like, this is what I want when I come back to, to Brooklyn. So I would love yeah. to incorporate the, the comic book store into it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, re- reading like standalone graphic novels and just like lo- lo- always looking for like a new thing to read um is cool but it it's really fun when you get hooked on a book that's current that you can go you know every week and and like you've got a few things that you were currently reading yeah. so usually the books come out once a month or every other month or something so every week you go one of the books that you're reading has a new issue out so you're always like following like a current thing and you get to know the staff there and you know you chat about like oh did you read this issue yet that kind of thing it's just a really fun culture to be involved with sweet man well that'd be that'd be really fun there's i found recently too um which i didn't know but i was i was on my youtube rabbit hole back not too long ago when remember i was just watching mars volta videos all the time but there was like (laughs) an uh, uh interview recently where they were talking about I love that director, Alejandro Jodorowsky, who did The Holy Mountain. And they were talking about how he made a shitload of comics. And I was like, what? So now I kind of want to go find that guy's that that guy's comics. Um, well, the, the thing I want to do when I come back, too, man, is I want to get back. Sean and I have been going. There's a local cinema around here that have that like just plays art house movies. So that's that's going to be my other thing I want to get into. Do they, is that where you saw Fast and the Furious 9? The <laughs> yeah, art house the, cinema? At the art house cinema. Yep. <laughs> you think in 100 years, Fast and Furious will be considered art house? Very good question. <laughs> It'll be considered... I hope so. It, I hope we get to live in a world where that happens. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it'll be considered something. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think that there... I don't like the snobby sort of part of obviously because I like Fast and Furious, but I also like going to see some Italian movie from the post-war Rossellini thing. Um, but yeah, 
I don't know if it'll be like art house, but it, it deserves to be in the pantheon of, of film. Yeah. I mean, is it the, I guess it's in terms of film franchises, it's gotta be one of the highest grossing ever. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, th- yeah. I don't know what it is, but it must. Be. I'm sure it's grossed a few billion over the course of 10 movies. No doubt. Are you? Do you think we can we can crack open to some adventure guys now? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, sure. <laughs> Episode discussion. All right, what did we watch? Season two, episode twelve. Her parents. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't exactly your thing. <laughs> you just lead with that. It's a. We, as we've discussed in season two, lower stakes, Finn and Jaker, um, some, the thing that was getting me a little bit was it, it seemed to lack the sort of maturity in all characters just across the board that you get later. Like you can still be silly and fun while having the characters not be just complete morons and idiots and have bad ideas all around. But this was kind of falling into the bucket of everyone's got dumb ideas or is saying dumb stuff, which is fun, but it's just not at the level. Yeah, this was maybe the most tropey episode that we've watched in a long time. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yep. I would definitely say the trope. Although, given what we've talked about, there are some things that you go, okay, this is kind of like a hacky sitcom thing that they still manage to subvert a little bit. You know, there are the tropes are there, but they find some ways to make them, to make them interesting. Eric, I liked what we did last episode where I didn't go through it painstakingly, but I, you did like your two minute wrap up and then we just started talking about shit. So let me attempt to go. Um, this one is, this one's far simpler. Okay. okay. Can I go? Yeah. And I'll go. So Jake is going to have to meet up with Lady Rainicorn's parents for the first time. And Lady Rainicorn is very nervous that about something that her parents aren't going to like him or I don't know. She's just nervous about the meeting. So to quell this nervousness, he decides he's going to invite the parents over to the treehouse to have a one-on-one hang. So by the time Lady Rainicorn gets there, they'll all be friends and they'll have a great picnic. So he does that. And right before they're going to come, he reveals to Finn that there was this great Rainicorn dog war. Um, long ago and Finn's like well you're an idiot that's why she's nervous that her parents aren't going to like you because of this old war and they're like oh no and he decides to disguise himself as a rainicorn with ketchup and mustard does a terrible job yet when the parents arrive they're convinced that he's a rainicorn he has to masquerade as a rainicorn much to the detriment of Finn who is looked at as a butler and finally food and when they try to eat Finn they say uh Jake flips out and says ah you can't eat Finn. He's not. He's my friend, not my butler. He's not food. And then when it's revealed that he's a dog, the parents do a crazy happy dance, and they're very excited because in the war, Jake, um, in the war, Lady Rainicorn's dad was saved by a dog. And that's and then they're all happy, and then they're it's cool. Is that good? Did I do an okay job? I didn't plan on this or, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of a classic. 
I was trying parents kind of situation. It is what what is interesting and didn't pop into my head till I was just saying it. It's funny doing that, Eric, because I was just going through the episode and trying to decide which piece of information was I should put in and which I should leave out, um, which was kind of fun to do on the spot. But as I was saying that there was a war between um, dogs and rainicorns and they're not going to be together, but then he was saved in the war by a dog and now they're friends. You know, that's kind of like what happens with different races here on planet earth in the year, you know, these years, um, you know, I, I, I don't think I'd be re- revealing too much to say older generations and, um, you know, Older generations would be like, I, your grandfather was in the war, we, so we don't like Japanese people, you know, and and like that's a thing, that's a thing that my my grandmother seemed to harbor some uh, ill feelings towards Japanese people due to World War Two because she lived through that, um, but she is a good person and she we we told her that that was wrong and and she she acknowledged it but I'm just saying like. Some of those things get ingrained when you like when wars happen with people. So I, I never really. Th- it was kind of cool to to s- if you look at it with that lens. I think. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like the clearest metaphor is that of a a mixed race relationship, and trying to deal with possibly racist in laws, um, and I kind of think the whole like dog rainicorn war was like one of the quirkiest developments of this episode and that it, it it wasn't just oh we don't think that her parents are gonna like jake it's that there's some like existential thing that we don't know anything about like why would dogs and rainicorns have been in some crazy war in the past and we don't get any details about it so it's a little bit fantastical um but why would they have been in the first place anyway you know yeah, I mean? we don't. I think there's there's uh, an episode later on that sort of touches on more of that history and does so in a less quirky and comical way. Um, so we get a little bit of like we get a seedling of like introducing some lore that will be important later, but it's done in an offhand quirky way, which is what season two is all about. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's dressed up in this sort of basic sitcommy kind of style that you know yeah. I think we've seen this episode a million times on different shows. It's true, and you know this is playing into something that's annoying in these early episodes. But like Finn really causes the whole conflict because Jake was not worried. Jake in his his big Lebowski dude like fashion is like yeah, I'll just invite him over and it'll be fine, and is not sweating it. And Finn brings in all these anxieties and really causes all the conflict in this episode that yeah. we realized by the end was not even worth being worried about. It's funny. Um, I did, you know, there were some, there were some fun things in there. I love a good breakfast scene in a cartoon. Like that yeah. was a really beautiful <laughs> breakfast scene. And I love you know a I, good breakfast. I noticed that whole breakfast scene had really intricate lighting. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was so nice to see. I know, right? Like they really spent a lot of time, like really getting the breakfast vibes. Like the sun is is low in the sky; it's still early, and like the light coming in through the window, like everything was like a warmer shade. Like wow, they really added some detail here, and it didn't seem like there was much of a 
a story related reason to do that. They're just taking care with the art, which I appreciated so much. Me too. And it just, it made, it, it just invite, it was so inviting. It's like, I want to be there. And it's just, Jake made all the eggs in that, he had a skillet, like a cast iron skillet and, and BMO's there. It's like a fun early BMO being BMO. Oh yeah. BMO's like trying to be a person. Yeah. And he just has this plate stacked up of food that he's, not eating but pretending like he did yeah he's such a bemo yeah <laughs> um and then in that scene when he wants to invite the parents over early to hang out he's gonna send a prism gram and he sends it and it but the that whole thing of a prison gram is perfectly weird adventure time because he writes it out in these kind of what is he was that in a language or was that this was that a prism it was Korean. It was Korean? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was writing real Korean. And the note that was says, real Korean. I couldn't see I'm something. Watching it on my laptop, I couldn't tell. The note says something really silly. It says, to Mr. Ranicorn and Mrs. Ranicorn, Rain Road 47. Please come here for one hour early for lunch. I don't have a pet turtle. From Jake. Perfect. <laughs> well, that adds something else to Ranicorns. And then... He sends it off. He takes a prism out of nowhere and like scans the Korean and then it shoots off into the to the distance and then it immediately shoots back. And Finn's like, what does it say? He goes, hold on. We have to turn the light waves and the brain waves. And it does a thing and then shoots a little piece of light into Jane's uh, to Jake's forehead. And then he just knows. And he's like, they're into it, man. They're going to come. Yeah. Mind you, this is immediately after Jake gets off the phone with Lady Rainicorn like on a regular ass phone mm -hmm. and it's like some janky kind of DIY phone setup that's like a bunch of parts that are kind of strapped together haphazardly and this is in a show where we also see cell phones make appearances <laughs> later on <laughs> so it, I love how sort like this is not necessarily a continuity error I think that they just lean into this in a particularly funny way in this episode in particular that there's no set rules on how people communicate long distance in the land of Vu. No, but it did also bring up for me is like, okay, so what's up with Lady Rainicorn's parents? They're in another dimension, right? They say that they came from another dimension for this. the crystal dimension, the crystal dimension, which I, I, I think that's it, right? Yeah. Which goes to show why they think different things and why they want to eat Finn. Uh, Cause they thought in their dimension, I guess humans are extinct. They never thought they'd have another chance and i guess in this dimension they're they're quite quite rare but it was interesting because when they get there lady rain according to me seems very smart like she is whip smart right and she's crafty and then her parents just seemed kind of dumb to be taken by jake's sort of like horrible disguise that should never have worked was yeah I, they was, kind of i guess deus ex machina like that they're just not they don't have good eyesight. Yeah, I, I guess that's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they can't really see that well because they're old. Okay, sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I it, it was it was interesting, but I guess it was also just like uh, the older parents, even if they're smart, they they kind of get weird sometimes. Um. Then they, you know, we I skipped over my description that they start doing the rainicorn games, which are kind of like reindeer games, I guess, like a callback to Rudolph or something, and those are all weird as shit. And it doesn't go well for Finn, who really caused all of this. <laughs> and 
they like he holds up Jake so he can fly around and horse around. Um, and the most the biggest one is that they turn themselves the Rainicorn bodies into springs and launch Finn into um, bottles. Like they have a bottle set up and they're trying to hit the bottle, sort of like a shooting range, and they're shooting Finn off like a spring version of their body. Is that a good way to say it? Yeah, and Finn's getting all bruised up. And this is one of those moments in the series that where I'm just like, oh, like I don't want to see them hurting each other. <laughs> yeah. Like they're always so reluctant when they do it, but they do it all the time. <laughs> they they love to do it. That's so funny. Um yeah, so that that was that was definitely interesting. Either, trying to see them eat Finn, you know, they when they try to eat Finn, Jake doesn't stop it immediately. He still has like a, oh, what do I do? What do I do? But I was like, dude, they're biting him. You gotta like <laughs> jump to action a little bit quicker. I know you you like Lady Rainicorn a lot, but you gotta he's gonna die. So <laughs> I I was surprised, you know. That that's where I was like, this is in its own weird adventure timey way of feeling a little bit tropey. But luckily they like dogs. The, the thing that wasn't tropey to me was when they find out that he is a dog, they, they go into, Oh, happy day, happy day, happy dance. I was like, all right, this is, I guess this is like a trope for cartoons, but I was like, I don't really recall anyone in this whole adventure time world reacting to information in this fashion. <laughs> right. I was like, this There's- is real silly. There are a lot of nonsense musical numbers in this episode. Short little dance song numbers that just are kind of incongruent with a lot of the other music in this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there is some cool music, though, in the end of the episode. So then they're eating soy people because <laughs> you can't eat people. So it's like the, like the plant-based version. And Jake says it's really good. And then Finn goes to take a bite. And the music, there's like a drum machine and it's incredibly distorted and it gets really loud as he's about to take a bite. And I was like, that is cool. That Yeah, they're like, it's like building, it's the, it's this thing that they do at the end of episodes where they just can't find an out. So they heighten the drama to a point of no return and then it, the episode just ends. Just yeah, ends. That, that drum like distortion is building and building and Finn has the soy human in his mouth. It's like, and then he reacts by just sort of smiling, like it tastes good. Episode's over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it too. Yeah, the episode endings are—they always find a way to to really stick it yeah. on this show. That was a really good one. That whole thing with eating soy people was truly like, whoa. They like it really could have ended when they were just happy that he was that, but to add that little tag on to the end, why <laughs> yeah. it's a cut above. Just to add just a little bit of chaos. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an Adventure Time ending. Yeah. So, Eric, this all begs the next question. Did you see the snail? Yes, I saw the snail. Nick, did you see the snail? Yes, I saw the snail. Hell yeah, baby. Play that theme song. Looking in the scenery throughout the land of ooh. Eli's in wait for me and you. We saw the snail. We 
It's been a while since uh, both of us got it. I know. It's been a while since I've seen it, period. I'm so glad that I did. <laughs> I looked at it. I looked for him. And I'm glad I found him. Right there you know, on the end table. My brain is like really becoming trained. I, I, I noticed uh, not this snail. I noticed the color palette mm. of like his, his body in the shell that like those like weird browns. Yeah. And they kinda, it kind of seemed just a little bit off from all the other colors on the screen. And right as the screen, as right as the scene switched, I was like, wait a second, did I just see snail colors? And I moved the, the playhead back just a few seconds. Like, yep, there he is. Yeah. And, and it, he, was, he was on the screen for a few seconds, but uh, I just kind of picked up the color in my periphery. It was a weird, weird uh, instance of, of my brain keying into it when I wasn't even really paying attention. Yeah, he's. I think those browns aren't necessarily around all the time in the Adventure Time color palette. Yeah. So it's. I. I. I feel you. I think that's what I'm. I think you. You said it well. I think that's probably what I'm looking for. <clears throat> cool. Should we do a little mania? Let's do it. some production notes this episode was written storyboarded by tom herpich and akko castuera mm-hmm. uh, with a story by a bunch of people that seems to be how it works mary weather williams steve little oh that's interesting he wrote it he he i guess contributed to the story idea whoa that's interesting uh and then patrick McHale, pendleton ward and Thur Van Orman was involved in this. I don't know exactly how involved he was in this show, but I see his name pop up here and there. He was the creator of Flapjack. Cool. Well, I like the idea. It's kind of like when you're, you know, listening to a record or you see a movie and you're like a fun cameo from a friend comes in. You're like, oh, there he is. This is the guy from that thing. Yeah. Like uh, speaking of cameos, did you catch who does the voice of the Rainicorn Dad? No, who? It's Henry Rollins. What? Really? <laughs> yeah. That did. I didn't. I. I totally missed that. That's fun. Yeah. I mean, his voice is is through that talk box, like like that radio EQ the whole time because he's using the like that speech modulator thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's Henry Rollins. He's got a pretty formal kind of speaking voice. It's like it sounds like very regular. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Henry. Like he's a pretty balanced orator i mean he's known for that he's just a store like you know his like storytelling where he just like talks about his career as a punk musician uh-huh he's like a very good speaker um he's got good elocution and uh yeah so sometimes it's it's a little bit hard to pick up when he's doing voice work but he does a lot of voice work he's he's the villain in season three of the legend of Korra which is probably the best season of that show. Maybe the best season of any of the Avatar universe. I'm maybe controversial opinion, but that's, that's probably my take. He might be the best villain in the whole Avatar universe. Wow. Big, big if true. <laughs> yeah, uh, Henry Rollins. Fun. 
And uh, the mom is Laura Silverman, Sarah's older sister. Oh, wow. Well, they did a good job of sounding like their old parents. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, Henry Rollins is interesting. Henry Rollins, um, he did some interviews not so long ago on, on Joe Rogan um, and then on Pete Holmes. And it's interesting to hear him in his older state. I don't know if you've listened to either of those episodes. Um, well, I don't listen to anything Joe Rogan, because fuck that guy. Well, with good reason. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fine. I was listening to another podcast. I like podcasts. That's why we started yeah, I, one. So, so I listened to a different podcast, and I think they got into what, what is infuriating about Joe Rogan, is that they were talking about how if you get so popular that you cross over into the cultural zeitgeist in this way comes with it as a platform and a newfound responsibility. And it you, you're placed at this weird nexus where the reason you have this platform is because you just do what you do and you didn't worry about those things. But now you have those things and you have to worry about them. So it's kind of like now to do what people like and what I like to do, I don't worry about that. But to not worry about that seems irresponsible. And I feel like that's exactly where Joe Rogan is. And it, it, he's just really also feels like he's like aware of that and he's almost trying to prove to people that he's not changing and like willfully being shitty about it. And that really pisses me off sometimes. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> it's funny that I say this on a podcast, but one of the most like basic normie ass bullshit questions you can ask on the internet is what podcast should I listen to? Recommend me some podcasts. I fucking hate hearing people ask that question. Right. <laughs> Um, so of course I, uh, you know, was driving like 24 hours in the van down to Texas a few weeks ago and I asked Instagram oh, yeah. what podcast you're listening and like a couple people recommended Joe Rogan. I was like, wow. what the fuck? Who do you think I am? Yeah. <laughs> How'd well, you get to this account? <laughs> I'm not proud of this, Eric, but I will listen to Joe Rogan on occasion. I gotta be honest the, with you. The only time I ever listened to him. Uh, was when Bernie Sanders was on. Oh, yeah. Just to, like, see. Like, I mean, it wasn't anything new that I had ever heard Bernie Sanders say, but I was just like, all right, so Bernie Sanders is going to be speaking to a new audience. I just, I'm interested in hearing what he has to say to, like, these listeners yeah. of the Joe Rogan podcast. But, you know, I would hear uh, fucking stupid, like, conservative people at, like, typical, like, boring-ass day jobs that I've had part-time just listen to his his shit like oh, so in passing. Like, you know, when you do like a night job or whatever, like everyone yeah. kind of like has their own little speaker on their phone that they can just listen to as they're stalking. You walk by someone that they're doing some other thing and you hear Joe Rogan. It's like, fuck you, this guy. But I mean, but at least it's not as bad as the guy that's listening to Ben Shapiro. Like, oh, <laughs> that's really bad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um. Yeah. Well, anyway, Henry Rollins was on there and he's interesting on both those where he's just talking about how like he's like, yeah, I don't really want to be in a relationship. He doesn't want a family. He just likes to do work. But and the Pete Holmes one, he almost sounded sort of lonely. And Pete is like, well, don't you like, why are you closing yourself off to these things? But like <laughs> he kind of goes off all through his life and different things that have happened. And I was like, this is a genuinely kind of an interesting person to to hear from with a different viewpoint on how he's interacting with the world. And I'm like, that's, that's what I want out of a podcast. 
you know, like I want to, I want to hear a different worldview and how someone's doing it, especially for someone like that, who I respect. So I would, I would recommend those for your next drive. I'm going to have to goddamn drive in like three weeks time from uh, Texas to, to Brooklyn. So yeah. What's your status on that? By the way, do you have a spot lined up? No, applied for a second apartment this on Wednesday and it was sick, man. There was a basement again and it was gone. It was like a shitty thing where we applied for the apartment and we were, we did it sight unseen just off the video that we got. And we were, it was only up for three hours and we applied and they were like, uh, before we listed it, we actually had another application. in, so we're going to go with those people. And it's like, what? I'm like, is this like, I wonder if it's just like some sort of inside job where they had somebody lined up, but for legal reasons, they had to post it. So oh, they did. Yeah. I actually had that happen to me with an Airbnb. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was booking one for the Holophonics recording. Um, oh, and yeah. There was, and there was a house that went up, and it was, like, super cheap. I was like, fuck yeah. Like, I, this wasn't up when I was looking yesterday. Like, yeah. I was going to, like, put this in immediately. Um, and they were like, oh, sorry, we just had to list it on there. But there's actually, like, a long-term resident that's, you know, going to renew their stay. So we, we can't accept your, your thing. So, Yeah, it's like, fuck that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad I'm not looking for an apartment in Brooklyn right now. Shit. <laughs> well, I'm hoping. I mean, some of these spots, man, I was like, man, if Eric ever needed, you know, if Eric needs to crash here, I got like a full on fucking place. Same with Sean. Um, but things aren't. Well, I think now, you know, the way that New York real estate runs, I was just literally looking up. I was like, what What went on in the market today? But the way that it seems to run is that like now we're in the spot where all the September apartments are going to come. But I'm sure like in lots of cities across America, usually at this point you'd be for a September, you might be competing with college kids or something. But I think everyone is looking at coming back after Labor Day because their jobs are requiring them to be back. Now, hopefully Delta variant will fuck that up and uh, we'll take some of the heat off and people will be like, I'll move back in October. (laughs) So just to give me some help, but we'll see. I uh, I was looking up like vac- vaccination rates because I was starting to get a little bit worried because now, you know, the mayor is like, yeah, New Yorkers should start wearing masks inside again. I was like, oh, shit, we're back to this. I think uh, 66% of New York City is fully vaccinated. Oh. Um, as of a few days ago. So two thirds, uh, which is well above the national average, of course. Um. New York state as a whole was at like 57%. Um, so generally speaking, New York city is better than most places. Uh, certainly better than a lot of dense population centers. Uh, you know, just relatively speaking anyway. Um, but yeah, man, people need to get vaccinated. We need more people. I think they said like at the current rate that it's going, like, we wouldn't have everyone vaccinated until February next year. And that's not even going to happen because not everyone even wants to get vaccinated at the current rate. No, I mean, I read a thing or New York times was talking about like, could there be a vaccine mandate and Biden? I understand why do, you know, interacting with the Joe Rogan audience, but he knows that it would really start like a culture war. So he's been trying to get, states and branches of the government and like institutions that have that freedom to do it 
to avoid a sort of thing like the federal government, I guess, went around and was like canvassing about vaccines and was like, look, here's how you if you want to get vaccinated, we're doing it up the road yada, 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 and making sure everyone knew. And that already started up, you know, the conservative Facebook warriors, people being like the fucking government's coming to my house and telling me to vaccinate my children. I don't want to do it. Um, yeah, man, I was talking about it yesterday with a friend and just that amount of people that aren't vaccinated is staggering. And then, and then there's, it comes out that there's people that, you know, that aren't vaccinated. And I, yeah. it's really, really Musicians troubling. are starting to get kicked out of bands for not getting vaccinated, <laughs> which I, I, I know some people in that situation, uh-huh. uh, very surprising, but they're fucking idiots. Uh, but yeah, the drummer from the offspring. I saw that. Yeah, it's great. Although I think that he has some sort of other medical condition that his doctor was like, don't get vaccinated, which I don't necessarily really? understand. But yeah. I don't know. That's funny. We'll see what happens, dude. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to come back soon. We can see some weird fucking movies and buy some comics and record podcasts <laughs> in person and stuff. Yeah. Season punk shows. Um, I'm heading into the studio tomorrow cool. doing some more percussion tracking. Nice. More people should hire you as an engineer. All right. This is a nice low key NPR style chat to end this. Should we uh, <laughs> pick an episode for next year season? Let's episode? do it. What are we going to watch next week? What are we going to watch? We got episode 18, which is season one, episode 18. Dungeon. Oof. Classic. Let's let's just go right at it. Let's do dungeon. I- <laughs> yeah, we just did a dungeon episode. Uh, yeah. This might be the first dungeon episode. No, that's no. it's not the first dungeon episode. It's the first episode with dungeon in the title, I yeah. suppose. <laughs> what, what, we did, what, what did we do? Like episode three or four with tree trunks? Wasn't that a dungeon episode? Uh, we talked about that, but we haven't done an official episode about the tree trunks episode. Okay. <laughs> Fingers crossed. It, yeah. Soon. I think, I think it managed to work its way into, uh, a, a pod that we did with Sean. All right. I should get a stuffed tree trunks to keep like here, like next, like on top of my monitor. <laughs> Just the patron saint of our podcast. Yeah. What monitors do you have? Do you have do you have Yamaha monitors? Um, I I do have Yamaha monitors that I use as checks. I have the uh, what are they? The uh, HS fifth HS fives. Yeah. Uh, but I don't. They're not like my typical mixing monitor. Like they're sort of the um the modern equivalent of like the NS tens. Yeah. It's like monitors that like don't sound that great, but are pretty analogous to like what most consumers are listening to. Um, the monitors I use for mixing are Presonus Scepters. Yeah. Uh, cool. I think about, this is so nerdy to talk about. Like we're supposed to end right now. So we can, we can continue that later. All right. Bye guys. <laughs> give us a, <laughs> give us a, a like and subscribe on, on Apple podcasts and all that shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Peace out y'all. Bye. <laughs>